This is Jim Glosso and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. So I want to tell you a little bit about our main sponsor for the episode. Script Anatomy is a screenwriting school that gets incredible results. In just four years, their students have won 58 fellowships, half of them at major studios. In 2020 alone, Script Anatomy won four out of 11 fellowships at CBS and three out of eight at Warner Brothers. Why? Because the instructors are all working writers with current credits. They teach a consistent tool-based program and they treat students like emerging professionals. To get your writing career started, go to scriptanatomy.com. My name is Gray Jones and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 121 for November 23rd, 2021. Well, today I'm here with one of the instructors from Script Anatomy who has written on Lost, Hawaii Five-0, and most recently Beyond. Welcome, Jim Galasso. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you being here and you, of course, teach a TV pilot lab at Script Anatomy. Uh, and we'll discuss that sort of in the latter part of the interview. First, I want to sort of get to know you and how you came about this career in television writing. You, you started out in um, Long Island and moved to Connecticut, and that was sort of a key thing. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, well, I think it happened at a key time in my life. I was 14, uh, and so when you're sort of finding in that awkward stage of your life, uh, I think it sort of opened up the things that I would go back to sort of in thematically in what I was, what I was writing, uh, what I've written in, the, in later times, sort of like as an outsider, as a new person, um, sort of that struggle with it. Uh, and I think it also sort of put me on course for where I ended up going to college and sort of what I wanted to study there. And um, yeah, just, you know, it was high school. So sort of like taking creative writing classes and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you studied at Northeastern University? I did, yeah. Um, which was really great because it's uh, a co-op program. So I ended up getting sort of real world writing experience in different fields at the time throughout college. I wrote at uh, our local newspaper in Connecticut. Um, I worked at CBS News uh, in the summer and fall of 2000. Um, so I was in the CBS newsroom the night of the 2000 election that we didn't wow. go home for. Uh, and yeah, so it sort of like opened me up to this, just like, it was deadline writing. It taught me deadline writing like pretty early in my career and just sort of have rolled with that ever since. Well, and, and deadline writing is, is a, a key, key thing in television. I, I, I know with my daughter, she's studying television at um, USC and, and from her early teens, I was drilling it to her, if you want to write for TV, you have to write fast, you have to write fast. Um, so I, I don't think that, uh, is is a small thing to learn that stuff no for sure i mean the biggest uh anytime i think with young writers in particular the biggest struggle i find with them is sharing your work and when you're on deadline and it never stops assignments are day in and day out you just don't have that time to be precious because it's due and so you get you turn your things in you get feedback you're on to the next thing and when you can sort of shake that thing out, that worry of, oh, is this good enough? Or give me a couple more days with it and I can make it better. That just doesn't exist in the working world. And I had that knocked out of me really, really early in my career and just so I'll send anything to anybody now. I'm just like, all right, whatever, I'm, I'm done. Here you go, let, let me know what you think. Very cool. So, so at what point did you move to LA and how did you get started in LA? Uh, I moved a, uh, a year after I graduated college, 
um, it was never my intention throughout going to school up in Boston. I, I always assumed I, I'm, you know, as you said, from Long Island, Connecticut, that that New York area. I just assumed that I would go to New York City and see what I could sort of do there in the entertainment field, uh, in the writing, you know, writing specific. And I ended up working on a documentary the summer after I graduated college, just doing sort of like, it was a super low budget, no budget thing where I was the cameraman and the grip and the, <laughs> like everything. And um, the woman who came out east to do the documentary lived here in LA. Um, she and her husband were in the entertainment field. I told her what I wanted to do. And she said, well, if you want to be a writer, you have to move to LA. Mm -hmm. And so it took zero convincing for some reason, I think maybe because I was, you know, 22 or 23 at the time and just spent the year working at a restaurant, uh, saving up money, bought a car, drove out here. Um, there was no job for me when I got here though. <laughs> so I learned that lesson also very quickly that, you know, promises uh, are not always made or kept or, but at least it got me here, which I, I think if I had to overthink it, I wouldn't have done it. Um, so just that sort of like, this is what you do. The jobs are out here. The work is out here. All right, I'm, I'm in. Mm -hmm. And you got, you got to work in reality TV and actually did quite a bit in, in that. Tell me about that. I did. I worked at a company called World of Wonder. Um, and at the time, it was pretty small, low budget. Uh, they would do reality shows for like VH1 and Bravo, um, MTV, Trio, just like HBO. They did some the the documentaries, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which they just adapted into a feature film. Um, they did a documentary with Monica Lewinsky. So it was sort of like this independent, sort of cool, uh, ahead of the curve on topics, on, on genre um, company, but it was also just filled with young people working, working their way up um, and uh, just sort of putting productions on. Uh, and I started as the assistant to the guys who run the company, Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey. Um, and it just sort of gave me access to how Hollywood works um, with them. They worked with uh, Brian Grazier at Imagine and doing uh, Inside Deep Throat as a documentary, which ended up being at Sundance. So I went to Sundance with them uh, when that premiered, which was amazing. And just to see sort of like how it goes from how an idea goes from idea to screen, particularly in that case where it goes all the way to Sundance, was just incredible. Just to see the work that goes into it, the hard work that goes into it. Again, deadlines that you just can't avoid. Um, and so, yeah, I was there for three years uh, as their assistant, and then I uh, moved into their development department. And that is really, you know, with sort of the foundation of what I was doing at the newspaper, and in the news in college, it sort of prepared me for this development, um, the development role that I had with them where I was just writing show pitches, like two or three of them a week. And I was churning them out at an insane rate that made my eye twitch. And it was just like, more, 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 get them out, get. And they would be sort of like only, you know, two, three, four pages of what a show would be, a reality show would be but just the concept of it, how it would work week to week. Um, Cause they are just 
the, those two guys are just like idea machines. And they had sort of this trove of older ideas that maybe they didn't pitch around. They said like, you know, now sort of is the time we can get these things out. Let's go for it. And so I would go sort of in the vault and update things or they would just have, you know, a new idea and say, hey, write that up and, you know, send it to me in a couple days and we'll see where we can go with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was just writing nonstop for a year and a half, two years or something as in that role. And uh, again, I mean, that's really where I sort of honed that um, not being self-conscious about the end result, getting things in, it's always better to have things done than thinking you have the sort of like the perfect final product waiting. Um, so I was just like constantly, you know, throwing in show pitches with them. And I've done a ton of work in reality TV development and a lot of people don't realize it's, there's actually a lot of similarities, especially with pitching TV shows now. I mean, especially now, there's a lot more use of pitch decks and even sizzles yeah. for scripted yeah, yeah, projects. Yeah. yeah, the sizzle reel, that's where I first came across it with them, where you just see all the different stages of how things work. You know, sometimes you sell an idea on a pitch in a room, other times a network or a studio wants to see more, what's your sort of vision of this? And they'll throw you, throw you a little bit of money that way. Um, so yeah, we, we had done, um, gosh, it was, oh, it was, uh, so the project was uh, the Robert Blake murder of his wife. And so we were asked to put a sizzle reel together. And so, you know, you weren't gonna go out and cast the role and do all that over this sort of blended uh, documentary and fiction um, narrative. But what we did was take some B-roll of the restaurant where it happened and it was digging through stills and uh, one of the, or actually both of the guys who were gonna write and direct the movie, they wrote some VO for it. And so we put together this like few minute sizzle reel that, yeah, it was really sort of, you know, it was pretty crude by like today's standards where you can do things and look really sharp and dynamic. But it was cool at the time to go like, oh, that that's, I can sort of, see where that would go and it would have that cool sort of gritty feel to it. Mm -hmm. And you did end up being the head of development for after a while. I did, yeah. It was, um, to be head of development at like that young age, it was pretty, it seemed funny to, <laughs> to me. It just sort of, to me it spoke to the kind of little engine that could, that the company was at the time. It was so top heavy with the, the guys that ran the company. Um, because they were just taking on so much of the load as these documentary filmmakers. And then it just, with their success, it expanded and expanded. And when I was there at the beginning, it was pretty small. And by the time I left three years later, the company was really sort of big and thriving. And now it's bigger than it ever was. They do the RuPaul show. They do a bunch of other really sort of cool documentaries and film. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was just like really sort of gritty, independent, and so there wasn't a development department when I started, so they said like, well here, you, you can be head of development, and it just means you have to write all these show pitches, send them out, track you know, how they're going, if people are interested, and then we would go into meetings together. You know, The two of them would sort of do their big sales pitch, and it would just sort of be me being like, yeah, that was, that was great, right? Um, so I didn't have to do that part of it, really, but it was just, again, it was ex exposure to executives and seeing how to speak to executives and how to sort of um, 
turn on the fly and go, okay, I can see that you're liking this part of the idea. So let me, you know, move my pitch to that because I'm going to get you excited. And it just, it always blew my mind when we would leave a pitch and you would have these executives be like, that was the greatest and you guys are the best. And we would be in the parking lot and one of them would go, oh, well, that's dead. And you go like, what are you talking about, dead? Like, they love it. Like, yeah. And they were always right. They were never wrong about it. But just me to be sort of so naive and say, well, they just said that they loved it. Well, they always said that they love it. So that was really like just an amazing lesson, which I, I would just got so many industry lessons from my time there, just sort of by matter of exposure and what they would let the sort of younger people do there just to sort of experience um, how to get all these things off the ground because you're just working nonstop once they do. Very, very cool. And so from, from there, you went to Lost, which was one of the biggest shows on television at the time. Um, tell me about how you landed that gig and went from a, a very busy job to, to that. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the transition wasn't immediate. There were probably two years maybe in between. Um, but I was just doing, as I was doing more reality development, it's just, it's not what I came out to California to do. Um, I always wanted to be a fiction writer. I always wanted to work, whether it was sitcoms or a drama. Um, I, just, I, I didn't want to work in reality and I could see, and so many people, when they land there, they're, they're looking for work and they want production work. And, some people take to it and they love it and they continue, they continue to do it and others go like, oh, you know what, this isn't quite for me. Um, and if you love it, it's a great place to work because you can just really thrive. Um, but if you don't, it can be a bit of a creative slog. Um, so that's sort of how I felt by the end of it. And so uh, I, I left without a net, which was, <laughs> which was uh, I don't know, it is what it is, but um, when I left, I did a lot of temp work at different, like Comedy Central and at uh, agencies, just wherever to sort of fill in for the day. But I was also doing script coverage, which that sort of led me, at least sort of the pre-training for working in scripted television, um, just reading scripts, all the time reading scripts. Um, and then, you know, months, years later, uh, it was right after the writer's strike. So this is 2008. And um, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, got a phone call from her friend who said, hey, you know, we at Lost were coming right back after the strike. Uh, the writer's PA, we're not asking him back. We need to fill that. Do you know anybody who could do it? And she, my, <laughs> yes, my husband will be there or my, yeah. my boyfriend will be there. You know, when, when do you need him? And so I sat down and I uh, interviewed with, I think it was the script coordinator and this, this person who uh, was Damon Lindelof's assistant. She was the one who's my wife's friend. Um, so I met with them. They sort of told me like, hey, this is what the job is. It's getting coffee. It's uh, filling lunch orders. Uh, it's, you know, making copies and running scripts all around. And to me, that just sounded like so magical. <laughs> you know, it was just great as a fan of the show. And this was season four that I was coming into. And it was just like, yeah, I, like literally whatever you want me to do, I will do. Yeah. 
Uh, and they were like, okay, well, you passed the first part of the, <laughs> the interview. Let's have you go talk to Damon and Carlton Cuse. So I talked to them. Um, it went well. I think after all these years, uh, looking back, the thing that I said in the interview that landed it was I told them that the show was funny, um, which I think like they liked because <laughs> uh, you don't necessarily think of a show like Lost as being funny, but it always like made me laugh. And you know, whether it was Sawyer or oh, I love Sawyer. Yeah, right. Like, um, so it it just like I was always tickled by it. Yeah. Um, in addition to all the cool stuff, so I think like they they kind of liked that. And a couple days later, I was hired to come in as uh, just as the writer's PA. And then, kind of as a stroke of luck and timing, a few months later, both of the writer's assistants um, were promoted. One was promoted to staff on Lost, and the other one, um, she was promoted, or she was hired on another show, so she left. So there were two openings for writer's assistants. And I guess I had done enough to sort of impress in, in that time as writer's PA, and they said, you know, do you want to be writer's assistant? And again, it was just like, I get to go in there, I'm allowed in that room, and I, I can stay when the door is closed and listen. And, and so still, I think to this day, it's probably my favorite job, the, the season I spent as the writer's assistant. Um, just because you have like, you're privy to multiple variations of each episode of the show. You're getting this inside peek at what the show, it could have been, you know, an episode could go down this road or this road, and then eventually it goes down this road, you know? So to sort of witness all that and sort of learn how to do it, it was just incredible. Um, and then again, sort of a, a stroke of luck and timing, uh, the season, that season ended, um, the writer who they had promoted, um, they weren't gonna renew his contract and so they had an opening for staff writer and they asked me to join the staff. Very cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was a real surprise. They had come to me um, maybe a week or two at, during the finale when they were writing it. And most, I think the writers had sort of been dismissed because everything was broken and everybody had written their scenes and the season was mostly over. And they asked me for a writing sample and I thought, oh, maybe this, maybe they wanted to see like if there's an extra scene that they're too busy with that they'll throw me a scene. Like that would be really wonderful. Um, so I wrote a, I asked one of the writers there, so you know, what what should I do? You know, I have, I have samples, but they were from before I worked here, and I've learned so much in the year. Like I know I can do better right now. And she said, well, wh why don't you just do a one act play? 30 page, you know, two characters sort of talking to each other. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And I can sort of do that quickly. And so I did that and I turned it in and it was okay, I guess, by, <laughs> by everybody's standards. And yeah, they, they offered me the job and I was just absolutely floored. I had no idea that it was coming. Wow. Wow. I, I have to say, I have never heard of somebody going home and writing something when asked for a sample. Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, I did it probably over the course of a week um, yeah I think it was just you know because it, it only ended up to be about 35 pages and my strength particularly at that time was that back and forth sort of character dialogue -y kind of 
pretty simple basic thing. It just didn't have many twists and turns to it, just a couple of sort of story points. Um, yeah, so it worked out well. It was all... <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. And then from, from Lost, you went to Hawaii Five-O. Tell me about that, how you landed that gig. I did, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I did the, the final season of Lost, which was, I think, probably the most unique season of TV of its kind. Like, because for years, the show had known, okay, this is the end point. We know we're, we're just doing six episodes. It was at the tail end of that sort of the network existence of television, right? Where millions and millions of people were watching something together. It was like, you weren't really binge watching things at that time. Um, and so a lot of eyes were on it and expectation and they had known, you know, sort of seasons back, like the direction to go. And then, you know, when I was there for those two or three seasons in the room, um, it was just sort of like narrowing, okay, this is the sort of the specifics of how to get there. So it was totally unique from that. You know, it wasn't like digging around for story ideas. It was like, okay, how do we land this plane, this massive plane that we, you know, has been in the air. Um, and so, and it was like, th those guys were treated like rock stars. You know, we would go to Comic-Con and everybody would be like Damon and Carlton and they would be up on panels and like they had a shtick and it was always really funny and entertaining and they would do podcasts and like, um, so they were sort of, I think at the forefront of that kind of like showrunner that everybody knows, um, which didn't really quite exist at the time, right? Like you didn't have sort of the creative television minds in front of the camera in, in so many ways. Um, so sort of to have that like hot kind of spotlight on was really unique and interesting and I I'll defend that finale forever. I know people, some people don't like it. Um, I love it. I still think it's really good. I think you should watch it again if you don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so unfortunately the show had to end and I, I needed a new gig. Um, and one of the writers, uh, Paul Spashevsky, who was on Lost, was going over to Hawaii Five O. Um, it was a time, and it was just starting Hawaii Five O up. Um, and it was my first sort of foray out into the staffing world. So I went on lots of different staffing meetings, and uh, I went on that one. I had a good rec from him. I had a good rec from uh, Damon, um, and you know, landed that job based on that, I think. Um, and it just like was totally different. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk a little bit about the room. Um, you had been in the room for two years, even though you were yeah. on staff the last year. Yeah. Um, sort of what the room dynamic was and then uh, how it was different on Hawaii Five. Sure. Um, well, the room dynamic in Lost, again, is probably pretty unique to what it is everywhere else, um, particularly now, I would, I would imagine. But it was, um, I mean, you have, when you have Damon Lindelof, it's like you have LeBron James. You know, yeah. you just have this person who's going to bring everything into the show, everything that you would need from a story perspective, from a character perspective. I mean, the, the, he's a genius, like, I feel a thousand percent comfortable saying he's a genius and one of the sort of the rare 
talents of the era. Um, and so to have that walk in every day and go like, okay, so I had this idea, blah, 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 and everyone's like, okay, that's wonderful. What are, what are we supposed to do? You know, and it's just like, okay, well then you sort of get rid of the fat of it and you make the things uh, around it work, the story beats and, but he would just come in with just like this brilliant sort of stuff. And then he had around him, um, Eddie Kitsis, Adam Horowitz, who had been there, I think since season two, and they brought their own sort of special blend to it. Super funny guys, like Eddie Kitsis is a idea machine like sort of nobody else. Um, so it could always just sort of keep that story moving. And then you also had on the other side of it, um, Elizabeth Sarnoff, who had come from Deadwood uh, and just is like the most brilliant character writer out there. Um, so you had just like this sort of dream team core of those high level experienced people. And then in addition to it, you sort of, you have Carlton who just knows TV like nobody else and is amazing, particularly in an edit room. And, um, you know, so you, these things were sort of coming together. And as a young staff writer, you're just sort of watching as a bystander. Um, it's like, what I'm not going to contribute too much creatively to this because there's, you have this dynamic where you guys are <laughs> discussing the finer points. If there is a long lull, that's when sort of like the younger people can jump in. Um, but you know, it's not expected of you. What was expected of me was to write the outlines, um, which I did. I wrote the outlines for, I think, all of the episodes oh, wow. in season six. Um, just to get those things out to production, to the studio, to sort of see like what we were doing and writing on the board, which I love to this day. I mean, I, I learned it there, um, but you know, organizing like, okay, so what, where did we land on that? Okay, here's the, here's the color coordinate beats. Here's the story beat. And to do that, it just gave me, um, it just taught me so much of sort of seeing an episode broken down by beat, by beat, by beat, act by act. Um, so I knew my function there, which was to fill that role of like utility, anything sort of like the upper level people don't do anymore, I, I will do that. Yeah. Um, and then to go to a brand new show, a show like Kawaii Five O, which is procedural, you know, it's week to week, it's not super serialized. Um, it's not genre, sci-fi genre. Um, in a way, it's not really character-based sort of much at all. Um, you have who these characters are, but the development of it is really sort of slow going, right? Because you're only spending a couple of beats per episode on anything that might be going on with them internally, uh, in their lives. It's just not what the story or what the show is all about. Um, so that adjustment in and of itself was a little strange to go, okay, we're not focusing on any kind of emotional journey. We're not, we're not, you know, taking it back from many episodes ago and seeing where we're going to go with it. It's just a matter of like, who's the bad guy of the week? What's the red herring? How do we solve it all in the course of, you know, 42 minutes. Um, and that room, well, that room is a little tricky and 
dicey to talk about. I don't know if you saw, there was a piece in, was it in Vanity Fair or maybe Variety, um, about a year ago about treatment from <laughs> the showrunner. No, um, I didn't see that. Okay, so it was, so he was, Peter Lankoff um, was ousted because of his behavior over the years and how he was sort of abusive to staff around and how he was not sort of welcoming and treated people well. And um, so I can sort of echo that part of uh, what that room dynamic was. Um, and so it was really different to come from a place where I felt like it was a family in a way because people knew each other so well and we were doing things in group events and we were going out and uh, then to sort of come into this environment where you're trying to get a show off the ground, first of all, which is incredibly hard. Um, you're meaning a season one. Yeah. From brand new, from the yeah. pilot. And so nobody knows what anything is yet. Um, so you're, you know, you're figuring these things out and pressure is sort of at, you know, it's way, way high, particularly you're on a CBS show with a really big budget. Um, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a reputation at stake. Um, so it was very different pressure and stress wise. Um, and it just did not sort of like mix with my, where I was coming from. And it just, it just didn't work. Um, so I was not renewed uh, when my contract was up. Wow. I, I, I hate to say it, but I've heard um, more often than I might like stories like that. Yeah, you know, and you hear stuff like that and then when you experience it and you see it and you go like, man, this, this experience is just, you know, you're, you're, you're grinding people down to the nubs. Like you're sort of taking away their pleasure, their creative juices, their spirit. Like, um, you know, Lost had its challenges and was stressful and, you know, there was certainly expectation that was tried to be met but the way that people were treated there was always with respect and with a lot of love um you know even if people were teasing each other it was always like there was a lot of love behind it uh so to go from one environment to the next was really stark um but when i was there i got to go on set uh, out in Hawaii, I got to produce one of my episodes, which was amazing. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. It's, and it's not always common for the staff writer to be able to do that. No, it's not. And we didn't do it at all on Lost. Um, so I had no training or anything with actors and being on set. So that was really, it was really intense to sort of be on this really big budget action episode out in Hawaii. But it was incredible to sort of like, be on the ground and talk to Scott Kahn and watch what a car chase looks like, and, you know, um, and try and, you know, make little adjustments on the fly if need be. Uh, so that was really incredible. And it sort of set me up for my next opportunity of being on set where I was like, okay, well, I've done this before uh, and I'll feel okay next time I have to do it. Hmm. Very, very cool. And so um, there's a little bit of a gap between that one and your next show, Beyond. Did yeah. you do development in that time, or what were you up to? I did a little bit, yeah. So um, in that, or right after Hawaii Five O, the first thing that I had written as a pilot, um, it didn't 
<laughs> it didn't go over <laughs> so well, kind of with anybody, not with my reps, not with you know any of the sort of like showrunners that I was meeting with. Um, and I think I was trying to do something that was kind of like, it was sort of like an anti-pilot in a way. My agent at the time had said, you know, this reads like an episode four of a show. And I was like, oh, you know, that's sort of what I was going for, <laughs> like, <laughs> to just drop you in. And, yeah. and it was like, it was too much. It's too much to sort of take that in and go, you gotta give me some context. You gotta, yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta give me some exposition here. Yeah. Um, and so having gone through that the next time around and writing the next thing I wanted to avoid, you know, those sort of pitfalls. And the next thing I wrote uh, ended up sort of having some success and it opened some doors for me and I got, um, I was submitted to like the type of shows that I wanted to be uh, on. Um, I was getting lots of staffing meetings and, and development meetings. Um, and I was up for a job on the CW on one of their shows at the time. And I didn't get that, but they said, you know, we really liked that pilot. Do you think you could redo it for a CW audience? We'll see if we can like, you know, get you with a producer and maybe you guys can develop it, to get, development, uh, develop it together. And so that's what I ended up doing, um, taking this idea uh, that I had already finished and sort of thought of it as going into this direction, but thinking, okay, well, CW never crossed my mind, but I, let me see if there's a way that I can do that. Um, so in the process of doing that, the executive who was like really championing it left and went somewhere else. Oh, no. And so it, that fell through. Um, and then I didn't end up working with the producer anymore on that, but that was just like, okay, this is another lesson that just because like, because the network says that they really like it and they want to hear what the pitch is at the end, that still doesn't really mean anything. You know, nothing sort of means anything until it's, until it's done. Um, but luckily not too long after that is when, uh, is when Beyond came about. Um, I mean, I've probably written Oh, actually, sorry, to backtrack a little bit, I had written a different pilot that I was going out with, um, and that's what got me into the room at the CW, and they really liked that, but they also wanted to read something else, and when they read the older pilot, that's they were like, oh, I think we can do this one here. So, I, you know, I was just like, you, you finish a pilot, you take a couple weeks to sort of decompress and then you jump into the next one. So, um, so I was doing that and then, um, yeah, with Beyond, um, it was a friend of mine who created the show, a really good friend of mine, who um, we worked together on Lost. He was, he was an assistant to Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz um, and he and I are like, a little sort of writers group, you know, amongst the two or three of us. And, you know, we exchange our scripts all the time and give each other feedback. And um, so he just wrote that show on spec. Wow. Yeah, incredible. Um, his name's Adam Nussdorf. And so he, um, he writes this thing on spec. His manager really likes it. His agent really likes it. They go out and they sell it. Wow. Um, and even you know throughout the process of it where 
it was sold. And then he was in Vancouver making the pilot. And he, you know, it was like, okay, well, that's great. I don't think it'll ever go. <laughs> and then it went, they picked wow. it up and it was like, this is incredible. Um, really young guy, super talented. Um, and so when it went, you know, I was like, hey, you think? he's like, yeah, let's get you on. And so, um, yeah, so that was, I, I went in and worked on that. Very cool. And what was that uh, room like, especially, I mean, the buddy that you've been working with for years and, and you've known for, for yeah. Years, what was that like? I mean, that dynamic was, again, super rare because you're not going to have a case where a staff writer, a story editor, has access to the showrunner in the way that I did. Um, there, uh, someone at that level isn't gonna feel comfortable walking into the boss's office and going like, hey, you know, the note on this, or can we talk about this through or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I, that's what we would do. Or I would pop in in the morning just to say hi and we would talk about, you know. Um, so in that regard, working with your friend is fun anyway. And then to like where we had written pilots each, you know, and exchanged ideas and we had seen a million movies together and talk. So to sort of sit together in his office where he's the boss and we're like getting paid for it and, and it's going to be made, it's, it was just surreal. Um, and that first season, uh, it was good. Like, I think it turned out pretty good, but it was really sort of like discovering what this show could be. Um, it's a sci-fi show. It's a show about family. It's a show about powers. It's a show about like a sort of a kid coming into his own coming of age story. So it was a lot of different genres sort of blended into one. And again, when you're starting a show, it's so hard to get the thing off the ground. And it's so hard to establish who everybody is, what the stories are going to be about. Um, when you have a mythology, that's another whole thing that just drives everybody crazy where you're just sort of like establishing rules and making sure it checks out. Um, so season one, like it was, it was good. Like it turned out pretty good. The episode by episodes were good. And then, uh, and it was promoted like crazy, which was awesome. Um, there were billboards for it everywhere. It was like their brand new launch on Freeform. And so it did well. Uh, but then there was a year between, because it was only 10 episodes. Yeah. And so it was a year, full year, before it came back again. And unfortunately, <laughs> um, the, the second season that we did, I thought was really good. And the room uh, changed a little bit. Um, they brought in a, an EP who is just absolutely stellar um, to sort of like be a number two-ish. And I thought like the character stuff was really great. The sci-fi stuff was really great. Um, but I think because there was that long layoff, we just didn't get picked up. Um, so, you know, it was one of these things where it's like the first season was like pretty good did really well <laughs> the second season i thought was really good and we were setting up to have it be one of those shows that's like um not to say buffy because buffy was so sort of cult success and amazing um but like one of those shows that was like not necessarily like a big hit at the time 
But if you watched it, you'd be really into it. There was a lot of really sort of cool, spooky things about it. And it also sort of had a lot of heart um, and a lot of humor to it. Um, and that show, particularly the second season, that writer's room is, if I had a room, I would do it like that. Wow. Um, the next time I'm in a room, I, I hope it's like that, where you have a certain, amount, a certain uh, level of you know, respect sort of for the chain of command, so you're not speaking over your EPs who are, when, when they're gonna talk, like you sit back and listen, but at the same time, you contribute. Everybody contributes. There's always something to sort of like bring to the table. Um, and that show had that. It had like a group sort of of young mid-level writers who were asked to do a lot and did and contributed so much sort of to the creative elements of the show. Um, and then in addition to it sort of from the showrunner perspective, uh, Adam was really great at knowing what he wanted. Um, that's not to say like, you know, he comes in and it's all done, but he knows like, all right, this is the direction that I want. This is the feel that I want. I had a great idea for, you know, the act two out. Okay, so how do we work around that? Um, how do we get to those points? Um, I would say the thing sort of to learn about being on a staff is you are there for the showrunner. It is not your show, it's not your voice, you are there to help that showrunner. And it helps when you admire the showrunner, it helps when you really respect the showrunner, um, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's just like, that's whatever idea and vision you have, I'm gonna help you sort of see that through. I'm gonna pitch to that tone, uh, I'm not gonna be a pain in the room that says, well, what if we did this, you know, the other way? And it's like, well, they don't want to do it that way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of, it's maddening to sit in a room with somebody who f fights sort of the whole feel of the room, particularly the showrunner, and you go, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, do that on your own. Maybe one day you'll have a show, but that's not what this is. Like, yeah. you help that showrunner. You make their life easier, you make your life easier, and the product is gonna be better at the end because you sort of like, you want to all get in step. Um, it's great to have free, open discussion about ideas, but if at the end of it you're still vying for your own thing, it's just like, it does nobody any good. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. And so, um, cast me up to the present. Of course, we had this big pandemic happen. Um, so in that time, you know, I've written a few pilots. Again, it's just like, you finish something, you write a pilot, you finish something, you write a pilot. Um, and then again, it's like, I've been up for stuff that you didn't get. I was up for a movie. Um, it was to be an onset sort of rewrite person, um, which I was excited about, almost got, didn't get, but like sort of the process of that where they send you the script, you read it, you give sort of your feedback on it, you know, so a lot of sort of like mental, you know, energy goes into that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that didn't go, or it didn't go for me. The, mo the movie's <laughs> out and everything on now. Um, and then I've written a couple pilots sort of in the pandemic or since the pandemic um, that I'm really happy and proud with and sort of like, if you're doing it right, one ideally sort of opens doors for 
the next thing and then they, people want to see and read more. Um, so the thing that I just went out with uh, fairly recently has been getting a little bit of buzz to it. People are liking it and um, I've talked to a couple people about it. Uh, so I'm hoping there's more traction to be had and I'd love to make it, but um, you know, you just never know. Very, very cool. Uh, we're going to take a quick sponsor break and sure. then when we come back, we'll talk all about your pilot lab drama Great. Um, is the category at Script Anatomy. AVGearGuy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit AVGearGuy.com for details. DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back to talk about the TV Pilot Lab drama that you teach at Script Anatomy. And the next one that's coming up, uh, according to the release of this podcast, is February 1st to March 29th. Yeah. Um, these are, are run several times throughout the year, but this one is Tuesdays, 6 to 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. uh, Pacific time. Uh, and it is still by Zoom? Yeah. Cool. So you can take it if you're somewhere else, but it's uh, 6 to 10 Pacific. Yeah. On Tuesdays. Cool. And I should note that there's a prerequisite of this course, the televisionary. Yeah, it's helpful to sort of have a little bit of a, the groundwork on terminology. Um, a pilot intensive, you don't want to come in totally new and fresh to it. I think it's helpful to sort of like know a little bit on how to break a story. It's, it's ideal if you've sort of taken a class before and you bring that story into the pilot intensive because then we can just like, we can just go. Um, and you're in a position where you can f sort of finish it and do even two drafts if you if you come in ready with a beat sheet or an outline. Very very cool. So um, tell me, who is this um, intensive for, and uh, what does it offer somebody coming in? Um, say for instance, if somebody had a pre-existing script, is it helpful? Or if somebody doesn't have anything written, is it helpful? Tell me about how how it's positioned. Yeah, I think you can't come in with nothing. Um, so it's for writers who are serious about finishing something. It's for writers who want to come out um, with, with a work, with, with a script. Um, I don't think it's a place to kick around ideas and go like, oh yeah, maybe I'll get to that eventually. Um, I like to approach it from the standpoint of like, you're here, you signed up for this, it means that you're serious about writing a script and I will work with you as much as you absolutely need it. Um, I'll meet you wherever you're at, like in your career, in the, in the, in the project, um, and we'll work it through. Um, I love when someone's ready, when it doesn't mean that, you know, they have a story beat out. That's, that's not it at all. I just love when somebody's ready to do the work. Um, and it's an intensive, it's only six weeks. And so it moves really, really fast. Um, but if you do the work, you can, you can finish. Um, but if you don't do it, it's just, you're just gonna get 
the wave's gonna <laughs> roll right over you. Um, so I really appreciate when somebody's ready to work, which most people are. Yeah. Um, which is what I love about teaching these classes. It's be like, you can't talk your way through it. You know, when you're a writer and you come across other writers and you say, oh, what are you up to? And oh, I got this script and I'm trying to sell it and blah, blah, blah. Like it's a lot of lip service, but when you're doing it and you're in that room, you know, whether it's Zoom or, um, you just can't BS your way out of that stuff. It's either everybody sees you're either doing it or you're not doing it. Um, and so I love that about it, where people are like, all right, I wanna, I wanna get this thing done. Um, and it's exciting, because you're coming in with a new, fresh idea, um, and you wanna see it through. Mm, very cool. I, I really, really believe in these programs. I know my daughter took one of them in uh, 11th grade, and she, in 11th grade, completed a television pilot. That's wild. I mean, pretty, pretty crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, so there's two weeks of prep that are required for yeah. the, the course. Uh, what is that time for? It's, um, I mean, again, because it's only six weeks, like all time is, <laughs> is useful. And so that first sort of two weeks where I'm meeting you, you know, through email, um, before we're even starting in the Zoom, getting sort of a sense of what your idea is, first of all. And some people might have two or three ideas and go like, you know, I sort of like all of them, but I'm not sure which one to do. And we'll, we'll talk about that if we need to. It's like, which one excites you the most? Um, some people want me to pick for them, which I will not do. <laughs> They're like, you're not, you're not putting that on me because when it gets really hard, which it will, I don't want you going, well, Jim picked this. <laughs> you know, if we picked the yeah. other one, it would be going better. Yeah. Um, so, but I'll talk you through and say just like, does this one excite you? Or do you have, you know, do you have another script that's like this? So maybe let's see a different sort of flavor to what you can do. Maybe we can, you know, um, diversify your portfolio. Um, but if they've got just one idea that they're gung-ho on doing, we'll, we'll just sort of talk about like, okay, what shows do you either like or are inspired by or are ones that you're sort of aiming for this to sort of be in the genre with? Who's your lead? What, what are they all about? It's just those two weeks are that sort of general topsoil, let's get into it a little bit. Introduce me into your world. What is it that you wanna accomplish out of this? Do you wanna send this out to try and get a rep? Are you sent, is, do you have a deadline and you're sending it into a, a competition? Um, anything that we can establish in those two weeks before it really gets down to homework assignments, um, we try and do there. And again, it's just like all time is valuable. And that two weeks, even though it's like, oh, well, the class hasn't like technically started yet. It's like the class has started. You better sort of <laughs> take those two weeks and use them wisely. Yeah. Well, and, and I know what distinguishes script anatomy. I mean, I, I think it must have been about 10 years since my first interview with Tanya Bhattacharya. Wow. And right in the foundation of her company, she's built that it's only working writers who are teaching these, these classes. And uh, so I understand with this one, you, you actually run it like a real writer's room. Talk about that. For sure. Um, yeah, I also teach a, um, a structure lab, which because we have six 
six, seven, eight, depends on how many people we have. Um, but because we have more weeks in the room, Zoom room together, um, we're spent, that's when it's really like a writer's room because what we end up doing is the very first class is me sort of lecturing and sort of giving you what we're all about at Script Anatomy, like how it works, what the tools are, they have their homework to sort of establish themselves. Um, and then every week after that, uh, the writer, one writer per, per class, presents their idea to the class as a, sort of a pitch, a general, what their show would be, and then we get into the pilot. And so they've sent everybody their beat sheet. So everybody's read it. I've read it. I've worked with the writer, you know, over the course of the week going back and forth and giving notes. And, and so they spend that entire time talking about, you know, okay, so this beat in act two, I was confused by it. Or, you know, we, uh, we start immediately after by saying, uh, these are the things that we really like about the pilot. This is what we've responded to. These are the things in the pilot that maybe confused us a bit. Um, and so that's where you're getting like a really great working dynamic writer's room because it's one person's, the, the floor is theirs. Everybody is up to speed because they've read what the material is and then you're pitching on it. Yeah. Um, and some people, you know, I sort of will function as probably like a number two um, in sort of room terms where it's the, it's the writer who's going, it's, it's their show, um, they're the one who ultimately is saying, yes, I like that, no, I don't like that, but I will keep everything moving and make sure that we're not moving off on a topic where it's like, okay, all, everything we're talking about is good and useful, however, it's not like story beats. You're talking about scene dialogue, which we don't have to talk about right now. That's the, for the writer later. Um, so I'll keep us on track. And the person will say, yes, I like that. And I like that. And let, can we talk more about, you know, is this mythology working? Is this B story working? Um, so I, I mentioned the, that structure lab class because I try then to take that sort of same philosophy into the pilot lab. Um, because really everything can be boiled down to those structured beats. Like so many writing problems are there, right there in your beats. Um, so even when somebody is done with a script, which I had this last time happen a couple times in my last pilot lab, uh, you know, we had talked for weeks, months, I guess, in, in a couple of occasions where the story was broken out and it all sort of made sense. And then as it evolves and the writer is writing it and new voices are being brought into it and you read it and go like, okay, well, the thing that you sort of set out to do, it's not landing. But what if we just take out this, the bits of the A story, this beat, this beat, this beat, and say, how do we change them? How do we make that little arc more resonant? It needs, a lot of times it needs more emotion to it. Um, the character drive, whatever the thing is. And you can just take it out and isolate it that way and go, what would this sort of three to five story beat story be here? And then when you figure that out, you just reinsert it and you do it with purpose. You do it with like, okay, well now my character I know is starting in this low place and this thing happens and now this is the resolution to it. Um, you know, sometimes it takes like writing an entire draft to sort of see like, okay, the thing that 
we thought was gonna work, it's just not working. But if we go back to the sort of basic fundamentals of how do we fix it from the structure lab, it's like, oh, that's, that's how we fix it. We just isolate it. Mm, very cool. And, and you know, it's funny, there are some television episodes that are actually written that way. I was talking to Jay Ferber, one of the writers from Supergirl, ah. and he was talking about how they pair up when they write their episodes. And often what they'll do is one person will write the A story, one person will write the B story, ah. and then they'll bring them together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it can be helpful to, to sort of excise uh, one of those storylines out. Yeah. Um, so t tell me more about how you structure this um, intensive week to week. It's different from the structure lab because that's one person per week. With the pilot intensive, it's everybody because it's just not as long. So everybody's going. So what we'll do in the classes uh, is we'll spend the first hour or so where I will lecture a bit. Um, I'll go over in a sort of general broad way of what everybody is sort of bumping up against, what has worked for people, what hasn't. Because a lot of times it's, you know, you have eight different people, but they come across the same issues. We, you know, we're all sort of like trying to figure this thing out. And so I find that that's really helpful and it's encouraging to everybody to hear like, okay, it's not just my issue, it's a common writer issue. So I think like it puts people at ease um, to hear that everybody's sort of bumping across this thing. Um, and then we'll talk about whether it's dialogue or transitions or act outs, buttons, you know, like all these sort of little minutia things that go into writing a pilot. Um, I'll try and cover as much as I can, always leave time for people to sort of ask questions and follow up. And then the second half of the class, we open it up to everybody um, and I give them 10, 15 minutes, as much time as we can allot for the whole group where we say like, okay, what is it with your show, your pilot specifically, that you'd like to talk about? Um, again, everybody has read everybody's material. So we send it in beforehand. That's a big thing. You have to make sure that you get your work in so everybody can be as useful and productive um, when it comes time to class. You want everybody right there with you and go like, hey, I really loved this part of it. I was a little confused. What if you did this? Or um, so we do that in that time where we go around the room, everybody gets their chance to say, okay, you know, can you guys help me with this bit of it? And um, so we'll just go around that way. And so do you want me to talk about the, uh, how it works like week to week, the sure. progression yeah, yeah. of it? Yeah. And so the way that it's structured out is you're sort of at the very beginning uh, telling us what the idea is um, ideally you want to have a beat sheet. If you don't, I can work with you to get one. Um, but it's easier if you've got it because it goes by really fast. Um, and so what you want to do is take that beat sheet, make it an outline. And then by the second week you want to be, or not by the second week, by the second class, which I guess then is three weeks in cause we, it's every other week. Um, you want to be writing the first half of your draft. And so then I will give you my thoughts on it. Um, you get it out to the class at the end of the week. They will give you, they will give you their thoughts on it. You work on it, you work on it. 
Um, and then by the next week, you do the second half of the draft. Um, and so again, like the faster you move, the more accomplished you can be on the entirety of the project. Um, so if you finish it at the end, you can do the full draft of it, get people's thoughts on the full draft of it, um, as opposed to half and half. But if you can sort of put them all together, um, you get a better sense of what the whole thing looks like in its entirety. Mm. Very, very cool. And, and you don't just talk about the writing, you also talk about sort of uh, industry stuff as well, like management and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, anytime that I've had a class, I always make sure that anybody who's got any kind of question on it can ask me whatever, anytime. Um, and I don't necessarily go in with like lessons on that stuff. I find that those questions are gonna come sort of regardless. Um, and as I'm sort of maybe delivering part of the lecture or giving an example on notes that I've gotten in the past, you know, it'll sort of like naturally segue into, oh, you know, this is how I got my manager or this is what, you know, I, when I was a, um, a, a writer's assistant, like th that's how that works. Or here's, you know, when we write on the board, what, whatever the thing is and you know, I'll just encourage everybody like, hey, if you've got questions, please feel free. And, you know, somebody will maybe ask one question and then everybody goes, oh, I was gonna, okay, thanks for asking. Like, I wanted to ask that. And then it's sort of like, okay, great. You know, everybody, like, we're all so vulnerable, right? Like, you're, it's such like an isolating uh, job to have. It's, you're, you're by yourself. You don't know if it's any good. You're giving it out to other people. You're hoping that they like it and not thinking that you're stupid, you know? And so people are protective of all that. And sometimes people's, uh, what their ambitions are, they're very guarded with and which is great, you know, like however you want to come to it. But I try and make my class environment as open and non-judgmental as possible. It's what I sort of tell everybody as we start, like, this is an open free space, no judgment whatsoever. Ask me whatever. I've experienced like success and failure. I know sort of so much of what works, what doesn't just by trial and error myself. I, I give notes that I've gotten in the past. Um, so I try to try and keep it open like that. And so what, what do the students take away from the class? Uh, I mean, ideally if, You've taken the class. I hope that you're getting out of it what you wanted to um, coming in. And if it's the Structure Lab class, I hope that you're leaving with, I sort of call it a pre-outline, the beat sheet that we're doing, because it's it ends up being over the weeks. So um, we get so in depth on it because I will, and by the way, um, even if it's not your week, I, I always am open and encourage anybody to get in touch with me at any time and say like, hey, if you've got an idea, even if it's like a piece of an idea and you want to run it by somebody, like hit, hit me up and we'll talk about it or, you know, we'll email about it. Um, and so it, from that regard, I just try and like sort of turbocharge the process because when you're writing, the thing that you need, I think, more than anybody, more than anything, is 
feedback. Um, I mean, you have to sort of move at the pace in order to get feedback. It means you have to do the work yourself, but you don't know if it's good. You don't know if it works. You don't know what's confusing. When everything is in your head, it makes sense to you. Um, so if you can get feedback from somebody, you can make the adjustments right there. You can make them very early on and you're not coming back to something that is maybe a simple fix on draft three because you've already addressed it way early in the process. Um, so I would hope that people, if it's a structure lab, come out of it with an outline. And if it's a pilot intensive, I, I'm really hoping that you're coming out of it with a draft. Um, it doesn't have to be a second draft, um, but I would love if you come out of it with a draft. So it, it sounds like, um, I know the prerequisite for this course is televisionary, but it sounds like a, a good plan would be televisionary, then the structure lab, then the pilot intensive? I think so. Um, I think you could probably also take, yeah, I mean, I think, I haven't taught a televisionary class, but my understanding of it is that it is not quite interchangeable from the structure lab because I think we're getting a little bit more in depth in the structure lab. Um, but yeah, like you certainly need one of them before the pilot intensive, just because like, if you can, I had a writer this last time took my pilot, or I mean, I'm sorry, took the structure lab and rolled right into it with no break into the pilot intensive. And she was remarkable. She just did an amazing job of seeing the idea through beat by beat. She worked so hard on it. She did beat by beat, had this really great thorough outline rolled right into the draft. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's sort of like when you're working and this is what the, the process is in a room. Um, you know, you come up with an idea depending on the studio or whoever it is, you might have to submit a story idea, um, to them. That's like a two page kind of overview of this is what we're going to do for the week. And then they'll give it the okay. And then you do your outline off of that. And then you go to script and this is after, you know, you've sort of broken the episode. And so it's a process of, I don't know, a month, right? Where you're sort of like starting from scratch and finishing a draft. And in that case, you know, you have a room full of people and an established show. So it's not quite the same thing as coming up from, from thin air in your, in your head. Um, but that's what the beauty of like the class is because you have access to people's brains and their ideas and you have access to me the whole time to say like, does this work? Does that work? And I, I will say, you know, I'm not feeling whatever this part is, but remember when we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, like what, what, what was that idea that you liked? Or did you ever see this show? Remember how they do that? Like what if there's a version where you're doing that in yours? Um, and we can really sort of speed up that process. And I think it's like things that are in motion, stay in motion, right? So it's like, you, if you're doing that sort of creative storytelling work, if you stay in that mode, you can get a lot done. If you pause for a few weeks, like I, I can't tell you the amount of people, established writers who will say like, I totally forget how to do all of it. Wow. <laughs> or like, I think like, I, I, I just, that was it. The last time I did it, I'll never be able to figure out how to do it again. 
I mean, obviously you get to it, but it takes a lot of mental energy to get into it. So if you can find one of those grooves where you're coming directly from either televisionary or uh, the structure lab right into the pilot, I feel like it like your brain is just moving in a way that you'll get so much accomplished. And so tell me about some of the success stories from people that, that took your um, intensive. Sure. Um, well, I had one writer who she had taken a, a, a class before um, and she had this idea that she liked, but it wasn't quite gelling all the way. And I think she had even maybe taken it to script. And what I told her when we started was, I'm sorry, but we're not gonna like reference your script. <laughs> like as good as it might be, all that work that's done, I don't want you to say, well, in the script, it." it says this, or in the script it says that, because that's not gonna, sometimes in, in scene work, you can sell something, but in the larger picture of the story, it's like, okay, it's not working. So you tell me about this great dynamic of the characters, and maybe I would love the scene and I love the dialogue, but step out of it and it's just not working in the bigger picture as it carries through. So try not to tell me too much about that, and you know, we'll sort of go through. So she had the benefit of like having that done. So it was easier for her to do her beat sheet, sort of retro, uh, retroactively do it where she was just pulling the beats out. But in being able to see something in a beat that way in a sentence or two of describing what it is we want to accomplish in this scene, um, we were able to say like, oh, okay, this emotional arc is not strong enough or in her case, I remember there was lots of like, it was ping pongy. It was like, okay, your character's going here and then to this bar and then back here and then back to the bar. Like, how can we cut that out and have it just be two scenes as opposed to six scenes? So she, you know, we went through, she worked super hard on it. She finished it. And I think she went out and got a rep off of it. I think she got a manager off it. So she was, you know, she was on the cusp of something, having something happen. I think it was that sort of last sort of push of, okay, let's make this like nice and sharp and you can feel really good about going out with this and it'll bring you something. Um, so that's worked for her. Uh, I had another uh, a writer who, she came in with I think, a, I think an idea that she hadn't really sort of developed much at all. Um, but she, again, like, Anybody that I'm gonna reference as like success is a hard worker. Like you just can't get around the work part of it. You can be a really great and talented writer and if you're not working, doing your own work, it just gets you nowhere. Um, so she, she's really good and really talented and lots of really great ideas and she worked so hard at it. Um, and so she was able to finish and get it to an, the full outline stage by the end of our class. Um, she took a, a pilot intensive with somebody else. And then she just emailed me the other day and said like, hey, I finished that thing. Um, that's the script that we worked on, you know, in your class. And I submitted it to a couple of uh, programs. Like I'm excited to, you know, see if I get in. So that I count as like a major, major success. Mm -hmm. Like the easiest thing to do is start a script and not finish it. Right. Um, so what I tell everybody and have always is just finish. Yeah. 
like you just never know what happens if you finish. Mm -hmm. Well, you always need new material. And, uh, and I think it's, it's important to know, I mean, a lot of people will think, well, I've written six, seven, eight scripts, nine scripts, 10 scripts. Yeah. And, and there's this, this thinking out there that um, you'll hear it in a lot of panels at different conventions. Oh, uh, until I wrote my 10th script, I wasn't any, any good. And so people think I've written 10 scripts. Okay, now <laughs> right. it's gonna change right. for me. But the fact is you may have 10 scripts at the 70 to 80% or maybe even 85, and it takes a 95% to, to get traction out of it. Yeah. Um, I think these courses are, are especially important, even for somebody who, who may have had a few scripts already, but to, just to get a pilot that is really workshopped and, and, um, and gets to that 95% level. Totally, and it's a really hard thing to do, obviously, otherwise everybody who you know sits down at the computer would have some sort of you know uh, work that's on 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 TV, but I think you know just because you have the ten scripts, like you're saying, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get better each time. Um, again, one of the things that I love about teaching the class is the communication, the back and forth, and if people get it and are responsive to the feedback that's when you get better. If you are sort of stubborn about it, um, hard-headed about it, you're just not going to, you're just not gonna improve. Cause you think, okay, well I know what I'm doing or I like this better or this is the idea that I had. Um, so you're, you're not sort of recognizing, you don't have to agree with my pitch either, by the way, which is what I tell everybody. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean do what I'm suggesting, far from that. But what it could be is, oh, I don't like that idea that you just told me, but it made me think of this other idea that I do like. And it's like, okay, great, you just solved what the issue is here and you're improving. And so I think like the more you do it and can sort of experience it in a slightly analytical way, and maybe you're not doing it in the moment because that's really hard to sort of, it's hard to write a script regardless. To analytically think about it sometimes muddies the process. But if you're able to, in those moments where you're getting feedback, where you're hearing about it when it's done, you're hearing what people responded to, what they didn't respond to, if you're able to look at it in a way that goes like, oh, okay, I can see why you liked that. Let me try and repeat that philosophy going forward. Let me make sure that, you know, we have a strong emotional character arc. That's what people seem to respond to. Um, let's make sure that like, you know, the idea is moving along. It's a, it works at a good pace, um, that it's not bogged down in details. Like you just have to sort of pay attention to what people are saying. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the specifics of it because not everybody knows how to deliver notes. Um, I think it's just a matter of the repetition of doing it, hearing it, and recognizing what the note behind the note is, um, and a willingness to sort of get better, because everybody can get better always. Yeah. Well, that's a good lead into um, what, are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making, um, both on and off the page? Um, 
on the page, I find that people overcomplicate the story pretty often. Um, and I don't think you need to do that in a pilot. I don't think you need to do it regardless, but in a pilot, you want to set up, you want to establish your world. Um, but most of all, you want to establish your lead, your protagonist. And the more steps that you're taking them on, you're getting bogged down in directions that don't let us in as an audience. And so to me, these things sort of go hand in hand. Uh, it's overcomplicating um, what your protagonist has to accomplish, because lots of times it's so many barriers and it's not necessarily adding to the story in a way that is entertaining. It's more like filling page. And it's this thing happens and then this thing happens and this thing happens. Where if you give it more purpose, where you say this thing has happened to the, your protagonist um, and they need to solve it in a way that tells you something revealing about them. Um, I always like to sort of suggest a, uh, a decision that somebody needs to make. If you can sort of set up who the person is, what it is that they want, and then say, okay, are you, do you wanna choose A or B? And whatever their choice is, if you've established them, um, it tells you a lot as the reader, like, oh, I was, I was not expecting that they would go against the grain. Or of course they did, like, they stepped into their flaw even more so. And now I know that this is gonna be a bit of a train wreck for them going forward. So it's a really hard thing to do. Um, I think you have to have a lot of confidence to tell a simple story that's not overcomplicated. Um, lots of time there's too many characters. I mean, that's like a really simple thing where after the fact, just look at it and go, do I need to have 10, 15 characters here? No, it's confusing. It's like the more bodies you're filling in your pages, it's just like, where, where's my lead? Where are they? What are they about? Um, so those are really big ones. Um, I think pace is another really big one, particularly in a pilot. Um, we sort of will preach in the class of get to your premise by the end of act one. Um, you don't wanna be continuing to set up and set up and set up where you're 20 pages in and the reader is going, what is this about? Like I sort of know the setting, I know the world, I know a little bit about the character, but I don't know what it's about. Um, and if you can separate yourself, writer to reader, and say, okay, well, when I read something, I, I want that information that tells me this is what it's about, and now I can go on the journey with you. And, you know, throw curveballs at me. Great, I love that. But until you tell me what it is that I should be expecting, I can't be surprised by the unexpected because you're just sort of being hit in the head with kind of everything. Um, so those are sort of like the biggest ones. There's plenty of others that, you know, we go over week to week and go like, okay, well, um, you know, you want to speed that up or, oh, another big one because we're talking about pilots is what's the difference between a pilot becoming a TV show versus you've just written a movie. Um, some people, they struggle with that distinction of like, okay, how do you tell a story that you feel satisfied with start to finish 
but you as an audience can see, all right, I can see this going forward. I can see this for a season, two seasons, three seasons, where some people will write a story and it goes, okay, well then that, that's, that's it. That's the end of it. Um, so it's, it's another sort of hard, tricky thing to do sometimes in figuring out how to make sure that it's, it has that engine to go forward. Mm. And plenty of shows come to air that don't have that engine. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, NBC. Um, uh, so uh, what do you think is the most important thing? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's 2021, coming into 2022. The landscape has shifted a lot. Um, and I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking more about all the streaming networks. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of shows, smaller orders, smaller staffs, all that kind of thing. Somebody breaking in today, what do you think is the most important thing um, to be doing? Output, without question. Um, you always want, that's why I tell everybody to finish something. Like you need at least two, at least, to go out and sort of <clears throat> say to people, this is, this is what I wanna do. This is a little bit of my voice. This is a little bit of what my skill level is. Here, you can read this and you can read that. And I always tell people also, you know, when you have those one or two, ideally two, also have an idea or two in your pocket that doesn't need to be fleshed out, it doesn't need to be elaborate, it can just be an elevator pitch of, oh, this is a world I wanna explore or a character who does this or a genre, like just something that if you're talking to somebody in a position who can hire or you know would want to develop or whatever it is you want to show them that you are filled with ideas um here's what i can do with it you know here's a finished copy i'm doing this as if like real copies still exist everything yeah. is just emailed right um so you know but it's just like here, here's what i did with it here's another one to show you that i can continue to do it that i continue to work and oh we're having a discussion yeah oh you know i had this idea about you know an alien who whatever the thing is because it'll just keep people engaged i think what you want to do and it goes with the the hard part is how do you sit across from somebody you know in the first place everybody can write or not you know you can write a script and finish it and then you go well, what do i do with this and you could submit it to festivals and competitions and things like that. Um, and it's just, it's so hard to get in front of people. Um, so, I mean, my advice there is just, I mean, it's such a general, broad and probably unhelpful way to say it, but just try and be out as much as you can. Um, meet people in any way you can. If there are ways to get into writers groups, um, I mean, that's again, what's why like, I think the classes are awesome because you are just forced into a group. Whether you like everybody or not is one thing, but if you're in a group of eight people, you're gonna probably like at least one other person. And usually it's a lot more than that. Um, Cause you're sort of like-minded people who are like, you love movies, you love TV, you love the, the, you know, trying to create this new thing. And so people are, you know, in the classes, people are really encouraging. 
they want to see you succeed. They want you to help them succeed. And so, you know, you just never know where those relationships are going to go. Um, when I started at Lost, <clears throat> um, I was, I, and again, like, aside from the, the genius of the senior level writers, it was the lower level assistants who I met there who became my best friends going forward, who have gone on to do great things in their own careers, you know, but you just, you're like, you're starting off, you know, as the grunts. So you just never know, you know, who's gonna sort of do what. Um, so it's just a matter of like talking to those people and meeting them and sharing your work with them, sort of expo <laughs> exposing yourself sounds funny, but like, you know, just being open to, hey, this is what I wanna do. I wrote this thing, will you read it? I'll read something of yours. Um, I, you know, my feeling is like, not everything is a job interview, but everything is a job interview. You know, like, <laughs> like I can't get you a job today necessarily, but if you've impressed me over and over again because you're willing to work super hard and I can see that like you're enthusiastic, you're a good person to be around, I know that you have good ideas, I will happily recommend you when somebody says to me like, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a script coordinator or maybe even like a staff job or whatever it is. Like, so just sort of put your best foot forward, try and impress, always work on your material, always have new stuff, um, don't expect anything from anybody. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's tough. It's a, it's a grind yeah. and you just have to like, you have to be willing to accept sort of all of that. Um, and just know that failure is coming sort of more times than not and to just sort of put your head down and keep working. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, that is a great place to end up. Um, and uh, any final thoughts? I have found a lot of joy in teaching the classes. Mm -hmm. um, it's it certainly made me a better writer because again, I'm like in that storytelling mode when I'm reading people's stuff and we're going back and forth and talking about ideas, um, it's exciting. Like you can't really control anything about this industry. So much of it is out of your control. So the one thing that you can control is your script. And so have fun with it, be excited about it, put everything you can put into it um, and then do it again. <laughs> Very, very cool. And you're uh, on Twitter, JGJR22? Yes. JGJR22, <laughs> easy to remember. Yeah. Uh, make sure you follow Jim on Twitter. And uh, thanks for all the wisdom that you shared today and also all that you do in helping in your classes. And I would urge everybody to consider um, both the, um, what was the first one called? The, the Structure Lab. The Structure Lab and also the TV Pilot Intensive. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's a great one-two punch in getting you a pilot script of your own. Well, thanks so much. Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark tvwriterpodcast.com and scriptmag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, and on YouTube. Make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at TV Writer Podcast.
Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.